Hi, it's uh, Gavin Giovanoni. I'm a neurologist and MS researcher based at Barts in the London School of Medicine and Dentistry. And I'm going to talk to you some more about Epstein-Barr virus and MS, particularly targeting the virus using immunotherapy. And I would like to put forward a hypothesis or a trial design of testing a new bispecific monoclonal antibody called glofitumab as an induction therapy in MS. Now, one of the problems I have is I'm having increasing difficulty seeing any future uh, innovative basic MS research outside of the so-called EBV MS hypothesis. And this is a potential problem because uh, I have criticized other researchers in the past for becoming too blinkered or too narrow in their therapeutic approach or their research approach. And uh, um, I'm beginning to question myself because my uh, thinking around MS research has become quite rigid. I'm kind of a prisoner of my own uh, thinking. But it's very clear to me that Epstein-Barr virus is the primary cause of multiple sclerosis. I am aware it's not the only risk factor, but it is necessary. And I think this is the most important point. It's critical that if you do not have Epstein-Barr virus, you can't get MS. So the small number of people in the population that are EBV negative do not get multiple sclerosis. And so this is the key epidemiological fact. And I say it's a fact now because it's been reproduced uh, over and over again by many studies, is, uh, and it is the underlying principle that's driving the so-called primary prevention strategy at a population level. In other words, if we can create an EBV vaccine that prevents you getting infected with a virus, we should be able to prevent Epstein-Barr virus uh, from infecting people, uh, stop them getting MS, and stop them getting all the other EBV-associated diseases as well. So it's not only MS, it's other autoimmune diseases and several uh, malignancies that are caused by the virus. However, this doesn't address the problem as what happens if you already have the virus, what can be done? And this is where the science gets quite complicated, uh, and there are two leading theories for how EBV causes MS. I like to talk about the first hypothesis is hit and run. In other words, EBV acts as a trigger uh, and causes autoimmunity. And then once MS is set off, the virus is irrelevant. And uh, it doesn't matter targeting the virus because the autoimmunity uh, continues without uh, that. The other hypothesis is that EBV is actually the driver. Uh, and by a latent lytic cycling, as you know, it's a herpes viruses and it remains dormant or latent. And every now and again, it reactivates and becomes lytic. In other words, active virus is produced. And it's a cycling between its dormant and active phase that's driving MS disease activity. And this could be via autoimmunity. In other words, every time the virus reactivates, it stimulates the immune system to attack the brain and it's driving autoimmunity. And that potentially is via molecular mimicry. In other words, the proteins on the virus uh, mimic uh, human proteins and that stimulates uh, MS. Or the actual virus is causing MS. Uh, in other words, the virus is what's causing the disease. Um, uh, and I personally like that particular hypothesis. And this is why uh, we are trying to pursue therapeutic strategies against Epstein-Barr virus to treat MS. Now, we knew, know from a quite a large body of work that people with multiple sclerosis are um, have difficulty dealing with Epstein-Barr virus. First of all, they're much more likely to have infectious mono. So people who have infectious mono have a much more exuberant, exaggerated immune response 
to the virus and people who don't have infectious mono, and that's an important risk factor for MS. Um, people with multiple sclerosis also shed EBV in their saliva more commonly than healthy control subjects. Uh, this means that they having lytic infection in their salivary glands more commonly. Uh, and we also know that when it comes to looking at the immune responses in our peripheral blood, um, people with multiple sclerosis have much larger, you know, higher levels, much broader uh, across more proteins that the EBV expresses and deeper so-called more epitopes within each protein, both at an antibody and T-cell response level compared to healthy or other control subjects. Um, and also the immune response doesn't seem to be just to so-called latent proteins, but also appears to be to lytic proteins. Uh, in immunological speak, uh, we talk about the repertoire. So the B and T cell repertoire are much bigger, deeper and larger than in controls. <clears throat> and uh, the way I explain this is that every time EBV cycles from latent to lytic, it actually creates active virus and that stimulates the immune system. In other words, it acts like a vaccine and boosts the immune system. And this is what's responsible for driving this enlargement and deepening uh, of the uh, repertoires. <clears throat> now, the obvious question is, where is this latent lytic infection cycling occurring? Uh, well, I think the overwhelming evidence suggests it's not in the peripheral blood. We don't seem to see much active viral infection in the peripheral blood. And therefore, it's likely to be either in the central nervous system, in other words, in the brain and spinal cord uh, of people with MS, or possibly in the secondary lymphoid organs. Uh, and the one that's most likely to be involved may be the deep cervical lymph nodes, because we know that people with multiple sclerosis are much more likely to have enlarged deep cervical lymph nodes compared to control subjects. And this is a really critical question because if it's in the central nervous system, our antivirals or our treatment strategies are going to have to be CNS penetrant. They have to go into the central nervous system to clear the virus. Whereas if it's in the secondary uh, or peripheral lymph nodes or spleen or wherever, then we don't need centrally acting uh, antivirals. We could use drugs that don't cross the blood-brain barrier, for example, or strategies that don't need to get into the central nervous system. Um, I personally think it's in the brain, and I think the observations that tell us this is that uh, actually when you look in the brains of people with MS, they're much more likely to have EBV. I know this is controversial, but I think the body of evidence suggests that this is a real finding, that there is more EBV within the brains of people with multiple sclerosis than control subjects. Natalizumab rebound, as you know, natalizumab is a drug that blocks trafficking of lymphocytes, white blood cells, into the central nervous system. And when you stop the drug, you often get rebound. And there have been a two patients that sadly died of rebound. And when we looked, well, a group in Rome, Francesca Luisi's group, when they looked in those brains of those people who had died, they found active EBV infection, lytic infection. And it looked like there was an exuberant T-cell response <laughs> against the lytic virus and what was causing the damage was probably the bystander effect of this inflammatory antiviral response. Also, people who are on natalizumab uh, do very well. In other words, they don't have relapses or much MRI activity, but the repertoire, in other words, the antibody response well, not, and then the T-cell response to EBV expands, suggesting that the drug is not impacting on the viral replication within the central nervous system, so it's still boosting anti-EBV immunity, and which, which we can pick up by showing this uh, increased immune response in the periphery. But it's stopping the cells getting in from the periphery to attack that virus, so you don't get any uh, relapses or focal MRI activity.
Uh, and so I think the uh, circumstantial evidence supports the EBV going having its latent lytic cycling within the central nervous system. That may not only be there, it may be elsewhere in the body too. And so this creates the argument for uh, antiviral strategies um, that first of all must target both latent and lytic cycles of EBV infection. Maybe we don't have to do that. Maybe an antiviral that just targets the lytic part of it would be sufficient because that will break this uh, loop. Uh, and we as a group are actually investigating a, a drug called famcyclovir. It's been around for decades, and this targets lytic EBV infection, and we're testing it as a potential treatment uh, in multiple sclerosis. So I don't think we should throw out the baby with the bathwater. We should test all these hypotheses. And there are quite a few very interesting small molecules um, that could potentially work as both latent and lytic inhibitors of EBV infection. And I actually am spending a lot of uh, my time um, trying to help some small pharmaceutical companies and also to nudge big pharmaceutical companies to test these compounds in multiple sclerosis. Uh, in parallel, I'm also collaborating with uh, what, who I consider one of the best medicinal chemists in the United Kingdom to develop a new class of therapeutic agents for this purpose. And hopefully we'll be able to test these in, uh, at least in the laboratory, in the cell culture, and then take them forward in a drug development program. Uh, I'm a little bit jaded and fatigued by drug development as an academic because the um, hurdles, particularly in the UK, for uh, spin-out companies from universities are enormous. Uh, uh, and, um, you know, this is why we have the pharmaceutical industry. They have the infrastructure, the funding, et cetera, for doing this. And I think when it comes to actually drug development, the pharmaceutical sector are much more efficient uh, at developing drugs than we are as academics. Uh, in parallel to this, I'm also trying to get established MS Pharma companies to look at the impact of their own disease-modifying therapies on EBV biology and the and the two classes that are really critical here are the anti-CD20s, these are the B-cell depletors, and the BTK inhibitors, uh, which are in phase three at the moment, are, all, are both anti-EBV. There's good data showing that they work against the virus. And the question I need to answer, and we need to answer as an MS community, are the anti-CD20 therapies and the BTK inhibitors working as antivirals? <clears throat> now, another big space are so-called immunotherapies. So uh, it is known that most chronic viral infections induce a state of T-cell exhaustion or relative tolerance. Uh, and these viruses do this deliberately. They have mechanisms for doing this. And the, the reason for this is to escape immune detection. Uh, and this is how they cause disease. And from an evolutionary perspective, it's in the viral interest, the vi interest of the virus. Uh, it increases their chance of mutating. Uh, and creating new variants of themselves, and then also transmitting themselves to the next next host. So a lot of chronic viral infections do this. It's not only EBV. Um, it's also associated with the so-called JC virus that causes PML, hepatitis B that causes you know, infectious hepatitis. Uh, so this is what happens with viruses, is they have the, the ability to exhaust the immune system to allow themselves to evolve from an evolutionary perspective. And we now know from other studies that are done by the group, it's not our group, that the people multiple sclerosis have a poor cytotoxic T-cell response to Epstein-Barr So they have this problem with uh, T-cell responses. And this is one of the um, reasons uh, why there are some drug companies or some pharmaceutical companies developing cellular therapies. 
and they're giving autologous or allogeneic from other people, uh, EBV-specific T-cell therapies to, to treat MS. And you may have heard of a company called Atara Bio. They're currently running a phase two trial of doing just this, an allogeneic uh, you know, T-cell therapy to target EBV. And there's another company, Tevagen, who are also hoping to test their proprietary product um, in MS as well. So there is this interest in using cellular therapies Another option is just therapeutic vaccines, otherwise boosting your own immunity to EBV with a vaccine in the hope that by doing that, you increase your antibody and T-cell responses, which will then control the virus. So this is um, a strategy that should be taken forward. Um, This does work. Um, There's an example of varicella zoster virus, the virus that causes shingles. There's a a vaccine out called Shingrex, and we give it to people that are already infected with VZV uh, to boost their immunity and then hopefully reduce their risk of getting shingles. And this actually has been shown to work in older people and also in people about to go on to immunosuppressive therapies, and it won't be very long uh, where we'll be giving all people with multiple sclerosis Shingrex before we start immunotherapies to prevent them or try and reduce their chances of getting shingles. So the strategy of using a vaccine to boost immunity to control a latent virus uh, is well established and I think it may work in MS. So I'm hoping all the vaccine companies that make uh, or who have EBV vaccines in development uh, think about developing therapeutic vaccines for multiple sclerosis. I also think that immune reconstitution therapies, so these are therapies that deplete the immune system and allow it to recover, may also be antiviral uh, in the sense that they, uh, first of all, deplete B cells and they obviously reduce or purge the body of EBV-infected B cells. But when the immune system reconstitutes, they allow rejuvenation, you know, in which your T cells be- lose their tolerance and they become lose their exhaustion state and become responsive to the virus and then control the virus. And this is how uh, hemopoietic stem cell transplant, alumtuzumab, cladribine, and mitoxantron may actually be working. They may be immunological sledgehammers, but they may be working by rejuvenating EBV uh, immune responses. Uh, and, uh, you know, if this is how they're working, surely an EBV vaccine would be a much safer and better option uh, than doing this. Somebody asked a question a few days ago, you know, quite a few people with HACT actually have EBV reactivation as part of their uh, complications of having HACT. And I said to them in, in response to their question, that EBV that reactivates may actually be boosting T-cell responses and rejuvenating them. So it's not, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Now, what about cancer immunotherapies? So you're probably aware that there's this class of drugs called checkpoint inhibitors that are used to boost immunity to cancers. So cancers, for example, do the same thing as viruses. They induce uh, exhaustion of T cells and they suppress T cell responses to the cancer to allow them to spread. And these uh, checkpoint inhibitors uh, rejuvenate or uh, remove some of the inhibitory signals allowing the immune system to find the cancers and treat the cancers. And this has been a revelation in uh, oncology uh, a large number of immunotherapies have emerged over the last decade, and they are now some of the biggest selling drugs on the planet to treat cancers. And we know that if you have MS and you have one of these checkpoint inhibitors for a cancer, it can make your MS a lot worse. And some people develop MS-like syndrome. So we know it triggers uh, um, uh, MS disease activity. And the question we really need to ask, could this be actually like an iris, uh, uh, an immune reconstitution inflammatory syndrome? In other words, the checkpoint inhibitors are boosting EBV responses. These T cells are then getting into the brain, finding EBV in the brain and causing an iris. In other words, it's a treatment of the Epstein-Barr virus in the brain. 
Um, now, we also know that there's another form of immunotherapy called uh, CAR T-cells. So these where you actually engineer the T-cell receptors so they become every T-cell reacts to a particular protein. And we know with CAR T-cells, we also get this, uh, it's called immune effector cell-associated neurotoxicity syndrome or ICANS. And this is very reminiscent of a type of iris. And the question we have to ask is, um, will people who go on to CAR T-cells to treat MS also have an iris-type syndrome? And uh, we have a good analogy. You know, people who get PML, progressive multifocal leukoencephalopathy, whose immune systems are compromised, we are beginning to use checkpoint inhibitors now to treat this. So this, these checkpoint inhibitors boost uh, peripheral T-cell responses to the virus. They get into the central nervous system, find the virus and attack it, and that causes an iris-like syndrome. So this is one of our worries about uh, using immunotherapies, is that we may actually trigger an iris-type syndrome. Um, I have to be honest with you that uh, um, I'm very keen, and we are very keen in the UK, to test uh, CAR T-cells, particularly those against the B-cells, the CD19-targeted CAR T-cells as a treatment for MS. And the hypothesis behind this is essentially to purge, is to remove infected B-cells from the body. And the thing about CAR T-cells is they will go into the central nervous system. And we've now created a uh, consortium in the UK to explore this as a treatment option. And at, and, and at the same time, we've approached uh, several companies with CAR T-cell programs uh, to try and part, to partner with us, and I'm hoping that one of them come on board. Um, interestingly, many of my colleagues in the field think that CAR T-cells are simply too dangerous to treat multiple sclerosis, and these killjoys uh, tend to be the same people who don't agree with using HSCT or even alemtuzumab as a treatment for MS. They're very risk-averse, and they just think the potential treatment complications um, um, are, are too high to expose our patients to this. I counter this be because these treatments are potentially curative. You know, if EBV is driving MS and we can purge the body, both in the periphery and within the central nervous system of Epstein-Barr virus, we could potentially cure the disease. Well, can we make T-cell immunotherapy safer? Uh, and another one is using so-called bispecific antibodies. Um, and these bispecific means they've got two arms, uh, and there's just been a publication in the New England Journal of Medicine of Clofitimab. This is a new bispecific, and what it does, it targets CD20 on B cells, and it also targets CD3 on T cells. So what it does is it actually acts like Velcro and pulls T cells next to B cells, and it therefore causes that T cell to become activated because by stimulating CD3, you activate the T cell and it kills the B cell. And there's been this uh, phase one phase one, phase two trial showing that this uh, bispecific monoclonal works in people with refractory B-cell lymphomas. And so I would love to use um, this particular monoclonal antibody to treat MS or to try and treat MS. This is to try and purge EBV uh, from the um, peripheral uh, compartment. Now, when I read the trial, hidden in the small print, there is clearly an Achilles heel. Uh, one of the uh, uh, issues with uh, immunotherapy is the CNS complications, and they were very low on uh, glafitumab. The, the um, number of uh, people who developed CNS inflammatory syndrome was about 3%. Uh, or lower, uh, whereas with CAR T-cells, it's way above 10%, and with one of the CAR T-cell programs, you get about a third of patients getting 
CNS inflammatory syndrome. So this is basically telling us that this antibody is not getting into the central nervous system. It's probably working in the peripheral nervous system. And so if we do need to get uh, immunotherapies into the central nervous system, this particular bispecific monoclonal antibody may not be the ideal agent. But that doesn't mean to say we shouldn't test it. And I would be very excited to uh, test clofitamab in multiple sclerosis with the hypothesis of purging the peripheral immune system. Um, And the second thing would be to uh, maybe design a trial where we use it as an induction therapy and then use a maintenance therapy, for example, of a safe uh, anti-BV antiviral to prevent reinfection uh, occurring. So um, if any Roche employees are listening to this podcast or read my MSL for newsletter and you work in the MS Drug Development Group, please uh, think about this strategy. Um, one of the problems I have, though, is designing a um, you know phase three program that will convince regulators that an induction maintenance strategy works. How would you do the trial? But that's something I think we as an MS community can sort out. So lots happening, um, and I'm hoping 2023 is the year where EBV becomes really mainstream, uh, and companies like Roche. Uh, and Genentech, uh, these are big pharmaceutical companies with big MS development programs um, uh, take forward an, an EBV strategy. So you can actually read the abstract. It's in the online version of this podcast. Um, and you can read the Noodle Journal of Medicine article um, about using bispecific antibodies uh, as immunotherapy. And there's a very nice editorial attached to this particular uh, phase two study. Finally, um, if you can afford, please subscribe. Um, I'm always trying to nudge as many of you in the community that follow me and can afford to do it to please subscribe. Um, I'm trying to make MSL fee a self-funding um, uh, and give it viability long term. And uh, your help is much appreciated. So those people who do subscribe, thank you very much. And if your annual subscription does come up and you think my newsletters and podcasts are valuable to you, please renew your subscription. Um, I'm noticing a lot of people not renewing, which is uh, either means that they don't in, they don't find it helpful, um, uh, or they can't afford it, uh, or they just have uh, a renewal uh, inertia. Anyway, read the read the newsletter, listen to the podcast, ask questions, and I'll try and respond to you. I think it's a really exciting time for MS therapies, particularly uh, as new treatment strategies targeting Epstein Barr virus evolve.